Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie, it's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary, maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. Welcome to Locked On Bucks, presented by BrewHoop.com. And we have something to talk about. Something interesting has occurred. Uh, normally we would sit here and recap uh, the preseason game, but I'm not sure anyone really wants to hear us talk about uh, the Bucks' 21-point loss to the Bulls after being up by 21 at another point in the game. So we're not going to talk about that. Instead, we're going to talk about the trade that broke on Saturday night. Uh, that would be... Michael Carter-Williams for Tony Snell. Uh, Nothing is official on the MCW Snell deal yet, uh, but uh, enough sources have confirmed it that I think it's going to happen here in the next little while. Uh, Maybe it'll be official on Monday. Um, But Michael Carter-Williams to Chicago, Tony Snell to Milwaukee. Uh, Frank Madden, you're going to join me today, and we're going to talk about it. Frank, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm traveling, so I don't have a good microphone. So I apologize. But, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was out and about last night, wasn't able to watch the game, uh, and was waiting for some bit of news here. And, uh, we saw it. And then, uh, yeah, I think we need to start by saying, because I think every analysis of Michael Carter Williams' tenure in Milwaukee, understandably to a large extent, was, based around what the Bucks gave up in Brandon Knight, as well as what the Bucks could have had uh, in that Lakers protected first round pick. Um, and not surprisingly, so much of the conversation now in discussing, you know, the trade of MCW out of Milwaukee uh, and Tony Snell arriving has been around uh, that same earlier trade that brought MCW and what the Bucks could have had and what they obviously don't have right now. And so I think we need to just start by saying like, absolutely, whatever Tony Snell does, <laughs> He is probably never going to be close to the value of whoever, you know, of a, of a future first round pick that is likely to be a lottery pick uh, in L.A. And so let's, you know, I, I mean, I think we've been ready to call it for some time that the Sixers won the trade. The Bucks lost that trade. <laughs> uh, and absolutely we can, you know, in our accounting of the Bucks move, we can absolutely hold that against, you know, whoever you want to hold that against in the front office or Jason Kidd or whatever, you know, John Ham, whatever, however you want to do it, like, yep, that, that was not a good deal. That was a bad trade. Um, but that's also a separate topic, obviously, from was trading Michael Carter-Williams uh, in October 2016 for Tony Snell the right move. Um, so rather than belaboring uh, all the value the Bucks gave up in the original trade for Michael Carter-Williams, um, which I'm sure we've done for basically you know, the last 20 months, effectively, <laughs> basically yep. since it happened. Um, it started with a lot more talk about Brandon Knight. I think now it's a lot more about the Laker pick, and understandably, uh, that was always the concern, I think, uh, when the trade happened, that that Laker pick was going to be uh, more valuable than, than MCW was ever going to be. And and uh, But obviously, there are other pieces to it as well. You know, the Bucks were in the middle of the playoff run, and they were, you know, to some extent, justifiably thinking, like, well, we need somebody to play point guard with Tyler Ennis. We were trying to build an arena. We're trying to do this and that. It's not an easy situation, but the Bucks lost the trade. The Bucks lost the trade. We can say it 
agree on it. Um, I don't think we'll ignore it forever, but um, that's just reality. So I don't know if you have anything else on that, Eric. I know that you love talking about that, but um, maybe we can get into Tony Snell, Michael Carter Williams, and focus on that. Yeah, I I would love not to focus on that. Not because (laughs) I'm a, a company shill, I'm in the pockets of the Bucks, anything like that. It's just... It's it hasn't been a useful topic to discuss in I don't know how long. Um, if you have problems with what the Bucks did, that's fine. And you had those same problems when they did it. Great for you. That's fantastic. I think all of us could see the potential of a problem occurring with taking MCW instead of uh, that Lakers pick. I think pretty much everyone understood it at the time and. Yeah, like it, it, there was certainly reason to question at the time, and all those reasons have sort of come to fruition. And uh, yeah, it was a bad trade. So that's that. Let's never discuss it again. That that's not going to happen, right? Yeah, and in economics, it would, it's what we call the sunk cost fallacy. And uh, you know, it says effectively, if you apply it to NBA trades, it's that a bad trade you made a year and a half ago, um, you know, shouldn't affect sort of the best move that you can make today. Uh, and not to say that people were expecting, you know, or, or not wanting to trade Michael Carter Williams because, uh, well, we can't trade him. We have to see what he's going to do. But certainly there might have been some feeling of that, um, and, and wanting to try to salvage something from that. Um, but the reality is, uh, obviously it didn't work out the way people wanted. Here we are. And I think the question of value and fit is really central to the premise of the trade itself. So if we're going to look at the trade and, you know, ignore all the other stuff that came, uh, in the past. Um, Michael Carter Williams, seemingly a more productive player. Tony Snell, seemingly a much better fit for what the Bucks need and also probably where the NBA is going if, if Tony Snell can be a productive NBA player. So I don't know, Eric, how do you sort of run that trade off of Tony Snell's fit versus MCW's, you know, a seemingly better production so far? Yeah. I think the thing with MCW has always been if. If is a big thing with Michael Carter-Williams. Michael Carter-Williams could be a good basketball player if, and then there's always something There's something after it. And, and I think for a while it was if he could get a jump shot, and then we all figured out, okay, that's never going to happen. Then it was if he can accept a six-man role and can handle having the ball in his hands less. And I, I think there was still a major question, and – in Milwaukee, and I think it'll continue in Chicago, is is Michael Carter-Williams okay with playing off-ball more? Is he okay with being more of a role player and not a starter? And I don't think to this point he's shown that. I don't think we've we've heard anything uh, that would suggest that Michael Carter-Williams is okay with not being a starter or not being, if he's going to come off the bench, the guy that has the ball all the time when he's coming off the bench. I thought throughout the preseason, the, the times he looked best was when he was with Del Vadova and Delhi was in charge and MCW was kind of his subordinate and he was playing off ball and he was trying to find ways to affect the game other ways. I thought that was when he looked best. And ultimately I think that's his best role, but that's a lot for someone to accept, especially someone that hasn't gotten their first non-rookie contract. So uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see what he does uh, going forward um, with Tony Snell. I don't, I don't think he has any illusions about the type of basketball player he is. Um, again, 
there's no way I've watched as much of Tony Snell in the last 20 months as I have of Michael Carter Williams. So I can't say definitively exactly who he is, but I mean, if you look at the player, I mean, if you just look at the numbers, uh, his per 36, he's getting up maybe a 10. He hasn't gotten above 10 shots uh, per 36. Uh, he's half of those are threes. Um, he seems to be understanding that he's a role player. A lot of those uh, baskets are going to be assisted. He's not going to be try to be a playmaker. He's just going to play his role. And for his career, he's a 35% three point shooter. Um, he had. 37% in uh, his second year, 36% last year. Uh, so I I think, it again, the fit makes sense. He's He should be a 3 and D guy. Um, and and I, I would say he's probably as maligned in Chicago as MCW was here in Milwaukee. Any, any Bulls fan that y- you see on Twitter, any Bulls blogger, they will willingly uh, – throw some dirt onto Tony Snell. Uh, so it, it's kind of both franchises getting rid of the player, their fan, ba- their fan base likes to complain about most. Um, so it, it's two guys that have been unpopular among their fl- fan bases getting traded for each other. So uh, in theory, in theory, Tony Snell appears to make a lot of sense for this team. Um but we we do still need to see him play and see how he actually fits and whether or not he's an actual NBA player. Yeah, I think a lot of the the conversation we had last week around Ben McLemore versus uh, Michael Carter Williams applies here. Uh, you know, Ben McLemore, a guy who has been able to hit threes slightly lower percentage than than Snell um, through his first few seasons, uh, has looked at times like a capable defender. Uh, I think the interesting thing with Snell is that, I mean, he was rated as the sixth best defensive small forward by RPM last year, which kind of blew me away. I mean, I knew he had some defensive tools. Uh, it seems like Bulls fans complain a lot about his lack of strength, um, which, you know, might have been more pronounced at small forward rather than shooting guard. So I think certainly it'll be interesting to see in Milwaukee where, uh, you know, Bucks are used to playing a tall shooting guard. They just lost that guy for most of the season. They really don't have anybody established at the shooting guard spot. That's obviously uh, the natural spot for him to come in. Um, so we'll see. Does he have the lateral quickness? Um, does he have offensively, you know, the confidence uh, after uh, a really bad third year and at least offensively, you know, he still knocked down threes, but basically didn't do anything else, shot horribly inside the arc. Uh, and uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, people say, talk about him not having necessarily confidence. And I think the, the per 36 numbers, his usage numbers, Suggests that he's a guy who very much stays in his lane. Um, and I think interestingly in Chicago as well, you know, reading some of the, the comment threads about this move and also just Snell previously, it does seem like there's a fair bit of heartburn, much like the Fox fans are, are, you know, feel burnt over the trade that landed MCW in Milwaukee. Uh, Bulls fans seem to talk a lot about the fact that they could have drafted Gorgie Jang or Mason Plumley or whoever <laughs> else uh, in 2013 when Snell was picked 20th overall. So, um, it's a classic change of scenery move for both guys. Uh, you know, you hope both guys can uh, maybe play freer basketball can, can maybe put aside some of the negativity that they've faced um, and to some extent unfairly in, in their previous stops and, uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, show that they can be the kind of players that, that obviously, uh, you know, they were first round picks for. Um, I think the interesting with Snell, though, as you mentioned, a good fit for Milwaukee and also 
I mean, it's funny in, in an era when three and D guys are so coveted. Um, it is interesting that, that he had, um, well, I don't want to say so little value, but I think you could make the argument that, you know, he would have more trade value than his productivity would suggest much like Macklemore, just because fit wise, he plays a position and has, you know, some nominal skill set that, that has greater scarcity than, you know, uh, a, a point guard who doesn't shoot and wants to drive, right? Which is, is kind of MCW's, um, you know, caricatured <laughs> profile, I guess, if we ignore like his defensive potential. Um, also with Snell, uh, you mentioned the defense and his defense of real plus minus was, what do you say? I think it's sixth in the NBA when I looked yesterday um, among small forwards. If you look at the Bulls as a team and you look at the on-off advanced, they had their best defensive rating when Snell was on the floor last year. And again, they didn't they didn't play a ton of defense uh, under Hoiberg. The defense uh, floundered a little bit, but a, a 97 defensive rating with Snell on the floor, and it's not a it's not a minuscule sample size either. That's 1,300 minutes uh, that he was a positive on the defensive side of the ball, and overall his net rating was four and a half, which again for the Bulls was one of the few that was positive. Uh, so 1,300 minutes of productive-ish basketball, however you want to define it. Um, and again, maybe it was just pure happenstance that it, they were positive when he was on the floor. Um, but at the same time, that's 1,300 minutes of productive-ish basketball, uh, despite not being able to hit anything inside the two-point arc and or inside the three-point arc. And you look at it, too. It You mentioned it before we got on, but if you would have traded for Tony Snell before last season, I think you'd have been really excited about it because he he was fine in his first year and he played 1,200 minutes his first year and then 1,400 in the second and it looked like he was improving from year one to year two and then he gets a coach change with Hoiberg and part of me wonders if Tibbs is there for a third year and uh, Snell gets him as his coach for a third year if maybe he's even more impressive last year and, and not to say that snow was impressive last year but he was fine last year um and y- well, you, you do you... he was he was fine by bucks shooting guard standards uh at this point maybe but yeah i mean like a 6.4 per i mean he wasn't he's at what below 40 percent inside the arc but but he did some things that i think you know even last year could have could have found a role at least on this year's bucks team which um is a little bit of credit to him and, and some, you know, a big part, just obviously what the Bucks don't have right now. Yeah. And I, I guess, it, I don't know. It's, it's just tough to see Snell do two things that you want guys, his size to do. He appears to be able to defend and he appears to be able to shoot threes at an average rate and an average uh, efficiency. And it's just tough to try to figure out how all those other negatives that Bulls fans have seen and obviously that you can just see from looking at the numbers, how that all balances out. Like, is he an actual 3 and D guy? Is he an, actually, is he an NBA player? I don't, it, it's tough to kind of reconcile all those things with Tony Snell. Yeah, so I, I think the interesting thing is, is trying to put forward an idea of, of what Tony Snell can be for the, for the Bucks this year possibly in the future. Uh, we heard talk of an extension uh, possibly being negotiated before the October 31st deadline, which, you know, based on what he did in Chicago, you obviously would not have expected to happen in Chicago. Uh, but here, 
you know, if the Bucks think he's actually a real NBA player, then then maybe there could be some value if you can get him for a cheap deal while he's just sort of like happy to lock up anything. What would that be? What, what is that like six six to seven per? Uh, I think first off, I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't do four years. Um, I think you know three years. I mean, three years five per. If you know early in the season and he's hurt right now, he's got an ankle injury. Hopefully, he's coming back in a week or two. Um, if he comes back and starts to look like a, you know, playable rotation guy who can, you know, defend a little, shoot threes a little, um, you know, I would be thrilled with three years, 15 million at that point, you know, but three for 18, I think you can live with that. I mean, really the, the, the key thing here is that there's no such thing as a good value for a bad player, right? If a guy is yeah. bad and you don't want him on your team, they're, they're Correct. You throw out what a good price is for him. Um, and that's the part that kind of makes me nervous. Obviously, the Bucks, if they're going to try to, you know, do an extension, and I mean, they've obviously traded for him, so they think he can play some role. Um, you know, you just hope that that they're right and that he can live up to to whatever expectation they have of him. So, um, so I, I don't know. I mean, not not knowing more about him and just sort of the the track record he has uh, in Chicago, um, I think I worry about going much more than, you know, five six million a year. But again, it's pretty arbitrary at this point. Um, you know, Jeremy Lamb's said like three for twenty one and. He certainly has been a, a bit more proven um, as a productive NBA player, but that was also signed um, a year ago. So anyway, um, Tony Snell, let's talk about, you know, we, we don't necessarily have a crystal ball that we can predict exactly how he's going to look in Milwaukee, but let's talk about kind of upside and downside. What, what would be kind of a best case scenario for you, Eric, um, in terms of, well, let's just say this season. What what can Tony Snell do, and what would be a, a really good result for Tony Snell this season and more? Well, let's see. He's had twelve hundred minutes, fourteen hundred minutes, and thirteen hundred minutes uh, in his first three seasons. So I guess with the with the need that the Bucks have for a wing, maybe fifteen hundred minutes played. Um, see his two point field goal percentage. N- be closer to 50% like it was uh last season last season he shot 42% or 49% excuse me on two point field goals uh this past year 38%. So if that can be back up to the high 40s um and then at the three point line be around 37%. Um and I mean he was shooting roughly I believe uh per game it's probably about uh two and a half threes so that would help out the bucks as well so i'm trying to sum it all up 1500 minutes good defense on the wing um hopefully those numbers are actually real have a positive impact on the bucks defense uh shoot two and a half threes per game at 37 percent and shoot close to 50 percent from two i would assume that would be uh that would be a positive season for Tony Snell. I don't know if that's best case scenario. I'm sure I could dream up something even more fantastical than that, but I would assume that would be a good result for the Bucks. Yeah. I mean, I think again, maybe not a best case, but a a pretty good result I think would be basically the guy two years ago, statistically, right? A low usage guy who knocks down threes and plays some defense. Maybe, you know, I mean, it seems like last year he played better defense than, 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 uh, two years ago but um but yeah it's pretty easy but i think the requirements you know we've talked about it the requirements of the shooting guard position in milwaukee are, are pretty low pretty basic and it yeah. seems like it's within his you know, abilities to do that but uh 
you know, we would have thought Rashad Vaughn at this point could hit an open three. We would have expected, uh, you know, a lot of guys that have come through uh, to be able to do some of those things. And, and obviously here we are. Um, in terms of worst case scenario, I'll give you the worst case scenario in my mind. Um, I think the worst case scenario is, you know, you, you extend him for, you know, three years, 24 million or something like that. And you roll him out there and he's shooting, you know, 28%, 29% on threes, uh, doesn't oh. do anything else. Uh, and defensively just kind of like, you know, doesn't really make any sort of impact or you know, doesn't grasp the buck system or whatever it might be. So I, I think that's the, the, you know, maybe it's not the, the 99 percentile and one percentile potential options, but maybe that's sort of the 80, 20 split of, of, uh, of good and, and bad. Uh, and as you can see, you know, in the bad case scenario, you don't want that guy on any, t- any type of extension and he's going to be a restricted free agent next summer. So it's not like the Bucks, uh, you know, are at the risk of losing him if he, if he plays well this year. But, but I think just the question would be, do you, do you then have to pay him more money next summer? So, um, definitely an interesting situation for the Bucks. Uh, I will not miss the Michael Carter Williams era in the sense that I will not miss talking about the Michael Carter Williams era. Um, but by the same token, I'm sure that we will continue to hear talk about the Lakers pick and Brandon Knight, uh, for the rest of, uh, of our time as Bucks fans, because that's just the way things go. But, um, I think we also probably need to focus a bit on Tony Snell at this point and see what he can do. And, uh, hopefully he is a guy that doesn't replace Chris Middleton, but hopefully he's a guy who can at least help, um, fill in some of the things that Chris did and, and potentially be a guy that, that provides depth uh, in the coming years. We'll see. Yeah. As I said, that that's the big thing is that if he's okay this year, that he doesn't have to be a starter for this team, that he can just slot in as a backup and as a guy that can come in from Middleton and try to help out and give you a little bit more flexibility in your lineup. That would be, that would be a good thing where you're not, when it was with MCW, it was like, well, can MCW play the two? And maybe he can play some minutes of Delhi at the two. And this is a much more, I believe, natural fit if Tony Snell can prove himself to be a capable NBA player. And as far as MCW goes, I was kind of excited to see what he would do this year, if he'd accept a smaller role, if he could accept a smaller role. Um, but alas, we, we won't get to see that. I feel for him in Chicago because... Good God, I don't know how he makes any sense on that roster. Uh, they're completely devoid of shooting, and they've added another non-shooter. Um, and they have a million point guards, and I, I, I just don't understand anything that's going on there. So um, I feel for him. Hopefully he can figure out his career at some point and, and be an impactful player like I think a lot of us have kind of hoped for him. So uh, we'll see if that happens. But I think that's going to be it for this uh for this podcast and frank i thank you for joining me while traveling and trying to make something happen here uh but we'll talk to you next time we'll talk to you tomorrow uh some more preseason games this week uh two more on the bucks preseason schedule before we kick things off for real on october 26th uh, just nine days away so we will talk to you later thanks for listening